eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in, bond, in the bond of peace. I want you to imagine with me this morning the scene that we see in the garden. There he is, the Son of God, the one who restored the sight to the blind, the one who gave strength to the legs of the paralytics, the Prince of Peace who spoke and the winds and the waves obeyed his voice. God in the flesh, the author and the finisher of our faith, who in his life abolished the law of works so that we might live in a law of liberty. God among us. The one who raised Lazarus from the dead. The one who was there beside the Father and beside the Spirit at the very beginning of time and beginning of space. When God spoke the world into existence, He was there. He was there beside the Father speaking to the world into existence right there with Him. But now, now He finds Himself brought as low and as desperate as anyone who's ever lived. He was in the throne room of God for all of eternity, before all of time and before all of existence, but now he finds himself on his stomach, sprawled out with his face in the dirt. His sweat begins to descend like, like great drops of blood. And he cries out to his father. He, he prays to his father. That's all he could do in that moment was pray to his father. Because all of eternity has come down to this moment. His time had come. The time had come. For him to bear all the sins of humanity. I want you to imagine that right now this morning. That there he is, crying. He's sweating in agony. He knows the cup that he has to bear the next day. Can you see it? Can you see the Lord? What do you think was on his mind? at this moment what do you think Jesus had on his mind we know a lot of the things that he had on his mind just because the gospels record it but one of the greatest things he had in mind out of all the things he could have been thinking about out of all the things he could have been saying, this is unfair, or, 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 or this isn't right, or I, I don't want to do this. One of the biggest things on his mind was you and me. And our unity as a church. Well, how do I know that? How do you know that, Ben? How? 
Why, what, what makes you say that? Well, in John chapter 17, John records what Jesus was thinking about. Out of all the things he could have been thinking about, Jesus, all he could think about was you and me and our unity. In John chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world might believe that you have sent me. In the next few hours after Jesus says this phrase, he's going to be spat upon. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be slapped. He's going to be stripped of his clothes. The, the, the Roman flagrum is going to rip the skin off of his back and expose his spine to that gnarly wood of that, that cruel cross. His hands are going to be nailed. His feet are going to be nailed. And he's going to be suspended in air for, for six hours. Until his lungs fill up with, with blood and water. And he cries out, it is finished. And what was on his mind? What was on his mind is that you and I might be united as a church. This is what he died for. He died, he gave his life, he gave his blood, he gave everything he had so that you and me could be in unity and in harmony with one another in the body of Christ. This is the church that he purchased with his blood and his life so that we might be united. He even says that through their unity and their unity alone, the world would look at them and say, there is no way that I didn't come. Have you thought about that? The world is supposed to look at us and, and say that God is real. Jesus is real. This church, this, these people that proclaim to be uh, Christians, this, this whole thing is real. How do I know it's real? Because of the unity that they have for one another. This is what he was willing to do for our unity. This is the level of importance that he placed on unity in the church today. The question, we're only going to ask one question this morning. What are you willing to do for unity in the church today? What am, what am I willing to do? What, what are you willing to do for the cause of unity in the Lord's church in Buford, Georgia? This morning we're going to be embarking on the greatest endeavor any of us could ever take. 
The greatest endeavor that the Lord's church faces, the greatest endeavor that the Buford congregation faces this morning. And that is the endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to thank Brother Jim for reading this passage. The rest of our time together we're going to be dissecting this passage. That's all. That's all we're doing today. But before we get into that, would you say a word of prayer with me? Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word that is sharp, that is powerful. It pierces into the deepest parts of ourselves because it is, it is divine and, and it is inspired by your breath. As we look at Ephesians chapter 4 today, I pray that, first of all, I can get out of your way. That the message Paul is extending to us as a church in Buford all these many years later, that it can take root in, in, in our hearts in our souls, in our minds. And as we talk about this great endeavor, I pray if there's, if there's someone that needs to hear this message today, that you will touch them, that you will prick their heart, and that the church can grow and be united from it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul starts out by saying, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When Paul calls himself a prisoner here, it doesn't really take uh, rocket surgery, combination of rocket science and brain surgery. Yeah, one of my professors said that all the time. It's not really rocket surgery to understand what he's talking about. He's, he's in prison at this time he's writing this letter. In, in fact, in chapter 3, in verse 1, and chapter 6, in verse 20, he alludes to the fact that he's in prison as he writes this. He alludes to the fact that he's in chains and in prison. Let me ask you something. What's the last thing you would want to hear if you were Paul in this situation? What's the last thing you would want to hear about the church in Ephesus? Here you are in chains. You're in prison. You're being persecuted for your love for the church, for your love of Christ. What's the last thing you would want to hear from the church in Ephesus? That they were struggling with unity. That there was disharmony among brothers and sisters in Christ. Here you are in prison. You're in chains. And you're begging the church, just be united. Just at the very least, have unity with each other. I beseech you, he says. Other translations say, I urge you. Imagine Paul having to write this to the church in Ephesus. Imagine the disunity, the disharmony of, of, of any kind and, and what that would make the Apostle Paul feel at this moment. 
Imagine that after chapter 2, Brother Kent, thank you so much for your thoughts. Ties so well into what we're talking about today in Ephesians chapter 4. But in chapter 2, as he just talked about, we see that Christ in and of himself broke down the wall of separation. Between the Jews and the Gentiles, there was a wall of separation. Nothing was able to break that wall down but the, the body of Christ himself. And in his body, he abolished the enmity between those Jews and Gentiles so that the whole world could have unity. And then in chapter 3, Paul has talked about this mystery of Christ. How throughout the ages, the mystery of the Christ was unknown to men. But now that mystery had been revealed through Christ. And then in chapter 4, he says, therefore, because of all this I've just said in chapters 2 and chapters 3, therefore, because Christ has united the ununitable, because this mystery has been revealed, therefore, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy. Man, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Walk worthy of the calling. Somebody may say, Paul, how can I walk worthy? How can I walk worthy of this calling that I've been called to? Isn't the very essence of Christianity, the very nature of being a Christian because we aren't worthy? We aren't worthy, so that's how Christ makes us worthy through His blood. How can I walk worthy of this calling, Paul? How can I walk worthy when I'm human and I mess up and I get upset and I get mistreated and I get hurt and I get betrayed and I get talked bad about? I hurt others. How could I walk worthy? You see, Paul isn't saying that we are to walk worthy of the gift of salvation. Sure, none of us are worthy of the gift of salvation. Paul's not saying to walk worthy of the sacrifice of Christ. I mean, there's no way any of us would be worthy or deserving of those gifts. But there is one thing that we are to be walking worthy of today. And that is Christ's call for unity in the church. That's what he's talking about. This calling to which we have been called is the call for unity in the church. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of unity. The question is, how's your walk been going lately? How has your walk been going lately when it comes to unity in the Lord's church here in Buford? Have you walked worthy of Jesus' words in that garden? When He begged the Father that we might be one. How's your walk going this morning? 
Have you above all else strong for unity in the church? Because Paul says it's not enough to talk the talk about unity. And by the way, I think we do a great job of talking the talk about unity. Because we all strive to be united. We want to put across an image of unity. And so we talk a good talk about unity. We come together. We get all prettied up every Sunday. And we look the part. We talk the part. We act the part while we're here. What happens when we leave? Or what happens when we're upset with somebody? We come together and we sing a common love for each other. We come together and we sing, bind us together, Lord. But in our heart, we couldn't want anything further from that. In our heart, we're upset with the person a few pews away from us. In our heart, we have enmity and we have bitterness and we have hatred for somebody who wronged me however many years ago it was. Paul says it's not enough to talk the talk of unity. You have to walk the walk. That's why he says walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. The text continues. He says, in order to walk worthy, you are going to have to have Humility. My translation says lowliness. In order to have unity in the church this morning, we are going to have to have humility. And I can guarantee you this, that wherever a church has disunity, a church also has a lack of humility. Wherever there is disunity, there is also a lack of humility. And in order to walk worthy of this calling of unity, Paul says that we have got to lower ourselves. Raise your hand if that's what you like to do on a daily basis, is to lower yourself. No, me either. We don't want to lower ourselves. We don't want to make ourselves less than. We don't want to bring ourselves low to the point that all these people are walking all over us. I can tell you this, this passage has affected me this week because every single line and every single word is something I struggle with. I struggle with, with lowliness. I struggle with humility. Why? Because I feel like I got it all figured out. You ever feel that way? I, I'm not the one that has work to do. They're clearly the ones that has work to do. They don't understand things the way I understand them, so they're the ones that need a little bit more work. You ever feel like that? Paul says you have to lower yourself if you expect to have unity in the church. How has your walk been going when it comes to humility? Have you been willing to humble yourself and lower yourself so that the church can be united? Or 
Are you still sitting in some form of self-conceited pride and arrogance that places your thoughts, your feelings, and your positions above everyone else as the only right one? Do you go about in secret to other frustrated members in the church and you talk poorly about our leadership who are doing everything in their power to guide us and to shepherd us through this life as a congregation. And you meet in secret and you talk poorly about the leadership. Lowliness. Humility. Sometimes we talk poorly about our leadership without ever having the wherewithal to have a conversation with them for ourselves. Have you ever considered maybe you're wrong? Maybe they're right. When we forget the call to be humble, there is no way that we will ever be worthy of the calling of unity. The text continues. He says, in order to walk worthy of the calling, we must have gentleness. Again, a knife in the heart for Ben Hogan. Gentleness. Gentleness is not a trait that comes naturally to me. Gentleness is not a trait, I don't think, comes naturally for many of us. Paul says if you're going to walk worthy of this calling of unity, you have to have a spirit of gentleness. What if instead of burying someone six feet under when you disagree with them, what if you chose to be gentle instead? Knowing good and well that at one time or another, you needed somebody to give you some gentleness. Is that not right? What if you were gentle to somebody that, that clearly needed you to be gentle? I'm afraid so many times we see somebody and we know that they need us to be gentle. And we steamroll them anyway. We know in our heart of hearts that this person is struggling. This person is on the fence. This person is just this close from giving up. We take our foot and we kick them off. Why? Because they're wrong and we're right. Why? Because they support this thing and I don't. Why? Because they shop at Target and I got a ban on it right now. Whatever the case might be. What if instead we chose gentleness? Knowing good and well we've needed it before. What if you chose gentleness in this world filled with bitterness? And when you found a brother or sister in error, you went to them in a spirit of gentleness instead of a spirit of bitterness. What kind of unity would that produce in this congregation? How has your walk been going when it comes to gentleness? 
Let me ask you another question. What, what if God was as gentle with you as you are with others? Does that thought frighten you? Or does that thought comfort you? If we're ever going to walk worthy of this calling of unity, we have to have gentleness. Anywhere there is disunity, we must first humble ourselves in order to be even able to be gentle. And without gentleness, we cannot walk worthy of this calling. The text continues. He says, if we're going to walk worthy of this calling, we have to have long-suffering. Some translations say patience. We have to have patience if we're ever going to walk worthy of this calling of unity. Let me ask you this morning, is the scale of patience that you expect from others uneven with the patience that you're willing to offer others? Let me ask that again. When you you look at the scale of patience in your life, do you expect more patience from your brothers and sisters than you're willing to give out? I think for a lot of us the answer is yes. Whenever I mess up, whenever I say the wrong thing, whenever I act the wrong way, I want you to have all the patience in the world with me. But man, if you do, I'm coming down with the force of 10,000 waterfalls on your lowly state, right? We hear the word long-suffering. I mean, again, it doesn't take very, someone very smart to understand what that means. Suffering long with someone is not easy. Sometimes you suffer longer with others than other people. But isn't that what the term long-suffering means? To be willing, I am willing to suffer as long as it takes for you so that we can have unity. I will suffer whatever consequence, whatever challenge, whatever hatred you have for me. I will suffer it as long as I possibly can if at the end of it, it makes you and me brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? That's what it means to suffer long. And sometimes we have to suffer a very long time. But how has your walk been going when it comes to patience? that you've exhibited toward others. In this building this morning, have you written someone off and broken your fellowship with them because they hurt you or wronged you in some way? What if Jesus did that to you when you hurt him? Without patience, we cannot walk worthy of the calling. He continues, he says, we are to bear with one another in love if we're ever going to walk worthy of this calling. And the question this morning is, what burden are you bearing for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? What burden are you willing to bear in their everyday life? Are you the type of Christian that expects people to be in your foxhole But the moment that you're needed in theirs, you're nowhere to be found. 
the church was intentionally and purposefully created to provide a family to lean on in times of trial. To help bear the burdens that we cannot bear, that we cannot bear alone. Unfortunately, when there is no unity, the body of Christ is crippled because those burdens are crushing each and every one of us one by one. When there is no unity and there is no bearing with one another in love, that's a church that is about to die. Why? Because when you're not willing and you're not able to bear with one another in love, you will soon be crushed by the struggles, the trials, and the storms of life that hit each and every one of us. It isn't easy to bear with another person. You know, we say it all the time, don't we? Bear with me. Bear with me as I continue to preach for 30 more minutes, right? Bear with me. We say that all the time. Bear with me, right? It isn't easy to bear with another person. Sometimes it isn't easy to bear with a brother or sister in Christ. And that's why Paul includes the idea of love in our bearing with one another. We bear with one another because of the love that we have for each other. I don't, bear, I, don't, I don't bear with you because I just love all your flaws and all your problems and how hate, hateful you are. I don't do that. I bear with you because I love you. I love your soul. I want us to have unity in the body of Christ. That's why we bear with one another. And in order to bear one, with one another, we have to have love. The text ends in verse 3, challenging us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the greatest endeavor the church faces today. This is the greatest endeavor that the Buford congregation faces today. If you're visiting with us, I believe that we are a great congregation of the Lord's people trying our very hardest to live according to the pattern revealed in God's Word. I think you would be welcome to come here and to, to be a member here and to be a part of the body here. But if you are a member here and you are a part of the body, let's just be real with ourselves this morning and admit sometimes unity is difficult. Sometimes unity, regardless of what we know is right, sometimes unity is next to impossible for us to find. We carry too much baggage. We carry too many memories. We carry too many ill words. And instead of God's word written on our hearts, we've written those words that were said to us. We've written those on our hearts. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The calling with which we have been called, first of all, starts with humility. And then we have to be lowly. And then we have to be a person filled with gentleness. A person filled with patience. A person who is willing to bear with other people in love. But it all culminates so that 
we might keep that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When Christians are willing to embark on this endeavor we're talking about this morning, there is nothing that we cannot do together. When Christians are are willing to endeavor to keep unity above all else, there is nothing that the church cannot accomplish. Is that not what he says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20? He is willing to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. This morning, how is your walk going? Are you endeavoring to keep unity in this church? Or are you seeking to sow discord? Are you endeavoring to humble yourself for the sake of unity? Are you willing to be gentle for the cause of unity? Are you patiently bearing in love for the sake of unity this morning? There he is. He left the throne room of heaven and he suffered on a cross. Every nail, every thorn, every stripe, every slap was for the sake of our unity. And if we are not willing to be united this morning, then we have completely missed the point of why he came here to begin with. If we are not united, why should the world believe that there is a Jesus? This morning, maybe you have examined your heart as you've looked at this passage and you've realized that you need to repent. Your bitterness and your anger has taken over you to the point that you hardly recognize yourself. The unity and the bond of peace that you used to feel here is now non-existent. Well, what better time than right now to first of all humble yourself and come and confess those struggles with your brothers and sisters this morning. Maybe... You have not been gentle with others. Or you've expected patience for yourself that you're not willing to give others. Maybe love has completely left your equation. And so bearing with others has become next to impossible for you. You may have come into this building this morning with all those things on your heart. But that doesn't mean you have to leave here with all of them weighing you down. You see, regardless of of the situation, regardless of the, the trauma you're going through within the church at Buford right now, you have to admit that it gets exhausting to hold a grudge. You have to admit that at some point, that weight of that grudge is a little too heavy to bear. It is exhausting to have something against a brother or sister. It consumes you. And why would you let those feelings and emotions take away from your desire to seek unity this morning? 
Maybe today is the day that you reach out to that person to talk this afternoon. Because maybe it's time for you to consider that they've been struggling with this just the same as you have. Maybe you're not a Christian today at all. You've not obeyed the gospel. You've not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and we can take care of that too. I don't know who needs what this morning, but I know who does. And he's here to receive you as together we stand and sing for your encouragement. There's a royal banner. For our guests and our members, please use the QR code to um, register your attendance. And we'll be meeting back tonight at 6 o'clock for our evening service. After we sing this hymn, there will be a closing prayer. We actually be seated as Todd will have an announcement for us. 671, first and third stanza. There's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the king. As an inside fair, we lift it up today, while as ransom ones we sing. Marching on, marching on, for Christ kept everything but Thank you.